Hi, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, September 22nd, sponsored by 42 at the Clinton Center. On today's edition, we're going to talk about the 60th anniversary of the desegregation of Central High School, the Republicans' last gasp attempt to replace Obamacare, and a few odds and ends. I'm joined once again by Max Brantley. Hey, welcome back. So where did you go, and what was the best part of your trip? Oh, well, we took uh, met my kids and cruised from uh, Athens to Barcelona, stopped at several cities along the way. Then Ellen and I got on a train and went to the Dordogne region of France and hiked from village to village, four villages, and somebody would carry our bags. I mean, you know, six or eight miles, but it was, uh, France was good, the food was good, but I, we took a, uh, we, a big deal in Europe now is food tours. All the big cities have companies that you can sign up and they'll take you around to sample the food of the city. And we did one in Rome in a, in a neighborhood that's kind of outside the, the center of things called Testaccio. And it was an American woman who's made who's now lives in Rome and knows her stuff. And it was great. I mean, we had pizza and fried vegetables and just all sorts of stuff and got sort of an exposure to the culture. And it's a, it's a fun thing to do. That sounds amazing. It was great. And I saw John Keats's grave, too, oh. while, while we were at it. Wow. No name on his grave because he said he hadn't. He didn't want a name on his tombstone because he hadn't achieved anything. And then some friend of his many years later said, well, he's famous now, so I'll be buried next to him, and I'll say that guy next to me is Keats. Ha. So, Funny. anyway. The city of Little Rock is calling the celebration that began earlier this week of the 60th anniversary of the integration of or the desegregation, rather, of Central High School, Reflections of Progress. Is that title warranted? No, of course, of course it's <laughs> Soft not. Softball for you. <laughs> right, and I, I mean, I wrote a column about this weeks ago. I, I understand the desire to make, you know, applesauce out of some fairly rotten apples. You know, we, we, we barely avoided disaster thanks to the federal courts and troops in 1957, and put nine black children through hell in the process, and they're rightly honored as heroes, and they're being treated as such, and they seem to be pretty happy to get that treatment, although even they acknowledge, I've noticed today, that you know we haven't exactly solved things yet. John Kirk, the, the Little Rock UA civil rights historian, wrote a piece for the Times this week. I happened to catch him speak to a community group last night, and he said, you know, people look at the the civil rights era and their own experiences in Little Rock in, in different ways than the rest of the world does. In Little Rock, a lot of people seem to think, well, that happened, it's over, the story ends. Well, of course, the battle for civil rights began long before Central. It continues now, and as John, it was his phrase last night that there's a tone deafness in talking about reflections on progress because there's so many, sure, there's been progress, but there's so many terrible things. We have a a city that is growing increasingly black because people have fled the city because there are a lot of black people here and they perceive the majority of black schools are bad things. The school district's been taken over by the state at the instigation of the white business establishment, the Little Rock Regional Chamber of Commerce, because they were unhappy with the majority black school board. Uh, the Black children still lag behind in test scores. We have a, a great crime problem at the city that a lot of people think is racially related. It's certainly poverty related. We have a police force that overwhelmingly won't live in the city of Little Rock because their leaders say there's too much crime and the schools are too crummy. So 
Now, the city leaders have scheduled some panels where perhaps some of these subjects will be gingerly addressed. But as I wrote today, I really wish when they have the big to-do Monday and the president, former president's there and a lot of notables there and the governor's there that somebody will ask Asa Hutchinson, who controls the State Board of Education, to give us our democracy back and let Little Rock School District voters control their schools again. But that the State Board of Education that he controls has so far shown no willingness to do that. So We, we talked in depth last week about uh, some news that happened while you're gone. That... Uh, Includes the settlement of a desegreg or a right. racial bias lawsuit that was filed by Representative John Walker um, on behalf of parents of uh, black uh, children in the LRSD. Uh, also, Walker and his colleague Amavi Shakur wrote a, a, a piece that I commend everyone to read in this week's Times. And then the state board uh, declining to review. Uh, state charter authorizing panels recommendation that three new charter schools. No, that count. was a re- that was a really irritating meeting, and Benji did a great job of covering that meeting. This, I, the ease with which the members of the state board of education talk about children trapped in Little Rock schools, despite a very specific showing by Michael Poor that the school district is having success with poor children who are notoriously difficult to educate. And, and automatically approving applications from charter schools that don't have a record, that just because they say they'll be better, the State Board of Education believes them. It's, uh, as I say, there's a bias against Little Rock in a certain political segment of the state that's just, it's just obvious and terrible, but it's also uh, apparently not able to be overcome. What about the settlement? Well, that had to happen. There wasn't much left. The biggest part of that lawsuit, the racial animus in the takeover, had been dismissed already. He was left with a facilities issue question, and and really the one central part of the of the facilities argument that was made by the black plaintiffs was is that well, you got this new junior high for White West Little Rock built pretty quickly. Where's our our new high school for Southwest Little Rock that was supposed to be done at the same time. Fair point, and but they weren't going to win much. This was a case that they might have lost, could have dragged on forever. I think the plaintiffs took a, what t- took a small victory, a promise to get the school built quickly, which it was going to be built anyway. I think it was significant that the agreement includes a promise of no new high school in West Little Rock, which is something that the, the charter school forces and the junior high forces have been anxious for, although I think there's still a way around that someday in a school district realignment, although that's become a, a fraud issue and may not be as easy as it once was thought to be. So so anyway, I mean, I, I think, you know, John Walker and company, of course, again, raised the issue that somehow the central high attendance zones were drawn to preserve the school. That, that was largely true 30 years ago. It's work. It's not strictly a zone issue. Central is a magnet school, which a lot of people overlook when they talk about that issue, and there are hundreds and hundreds of students there who attend as magnet students. But uh, there is a concentration of what few white students are left in the district uh, in Central and and to lesser degree in Parkview, which is a magnet high school, and that's not going to change with a new high school. I mean, there are only so many students that can only go so far. I know the Democrat Gazette today did, did their version of the story on the continuing racial issues and 
talked about how central, I guess it's about 30% white, I guess, and how that's disproportionate to the rest of the district, which is true, but, you know, it's it's really sort of a meaningless distinction. I think one thing that's not noted in the Democrat Gazette stories, of course, is they talk about the racial population of Little Rock, which is different than the racial population of Little Rock School District because the boundaries aren't contiguous. And also, the school, uh, Metroplan ran the numbers for me several weeks ago on the the school age population in the city of Little Rock is at best around 30% white. I mean, there's they're just in the, in the Little Rock School District. There's just not that many left because people have gone to the western reaches of the city, which were allowed to join the city without joining the school district, or they've gone to Bryant, Cabot, Conway, Benton, wherever. And so, uh, I mean, I, we we are facing. And charter schools, to a certain degree, further that segregation. I mean, they're either all black or they have an extraordinary white population, which makes them more popular with parents in the district who are more comfortable in a setting that is more diverse. I mean, nobody wants to be racially isolated. That's just a fact. That's just the truth. And So uh, I think we're looking at the classic urban situation in Little Rock without much likelihood of a great change that we're going to be a majority minority city, we're going to have a majority minority school district, and to the extent we're able to defy the odds and, and achieve education proficiency for poor children, uh, well that'll be a good thing, but, but nobody has yet solved that on any systemic basis. We're probably going to be singing the same song, just new verses for a while. Well, right, and, and you know, and we, I don't know, and we've got, representation is, is I mean, black people now have a middle class in Little Rock, much larger than existed in 1957, but you look at the corporate boardrooms in, in Arkansas and in Little Rock, and they're short of black people and women, too, by the way, and, and Hispanics, too. And, and I mean, there, there, isn't, there, there isn't anything you can meaningfully call equality yet. And so, yes, honor the wonderful nine, and they're so eloquent. I listened to them a while today. I mean... These were really the best of the best, which, of course, they were chosen for that reason right. at the time. And, and they're just wonderful people, and some have had some great challenges, Elizabeth Eckford particularly. But, but uh, you know, I mean, as Ernest Green observed, you know, the civil rights, the success of desegregation in their case helped white people too because the resistance here had made us an outlaw state. And some willingness to get behind school desegregation by the business leadership here, although it was grudging and incremental, allowed us to again have some industrial development again and created something of a progressive city, which alone in the state is something of an oasis. We Little Rock is more progressive than the balance of blood red Arkansas, and so there is that. Yeah. Okay, let's leave it there and talk about our let's sponsor, 42 at the Clinton Center. Well, the good news about... 42 is is it's not just your average museum restaurant. I, mean, I got a lot of museums and most of them have convenience places to eat and that's all they are. But this is 42 is really a restaurant. I mean they have locally sourced ingredients and it's a beautiful place and they serve man-sized burgers and the weather's good. And there's always a reason to go to the Clinton Library anyway because the, the show's changed. There's going to be a great Mandela exhibit starting next week. I think Bill Clinton's going to be in town to, to kick it off as well as be at the Central High thing. And so go see the, and the great thing, I mean, I hate to say this, I'm a short attention span person. The exhibits at the Clinton Library tend to be good, but 
digestible. I mean, <laughs> they're not huge, you yeah. know. And so then you can work in a, you know, a work in a visit to the exhibit, and then Saturday morning, you know, plenty of parking, nice setting, go down and have a Bloody Mary and a, a big brunch, and it's a pretty good thing. Yeah. You know? uh, Monday through Saturday, 10 to 2, free parking. 42 is at our Pig and Swig event last night. I think I, I, I may have had too many uh, swigs to, to remember, but I think that they did a particularly good uh, black-eyed pea pork thing with some cabbage and mustard, oh, and yeah, it was a, it was a good, good. good combo, yeah. good event. So moving on, a last-ditch effort to replace Obamacare emerged out of nowhere in recent weeks, gained traction, but now appears more likely than not to be headed wow, for, for failure a, in this the was, Senate. This was the worst, worst one yet. It really would have ended Medicaid. It really would end Medicaid as we know it. It would block grant Medicaid money and not just end the Obamacare aspect, but put a cap on Medicaid for all time. Devastating consequences. 32 million people would lose health coverage in the United States. Governor Asa Hutchinson got behind it for political party political reasons. He continues to insist that he guarantees it wouldn't affect coverage of pre-existing conditions. There is no way it would not affect coverage of pre-existing conditions. It, remo- it removes the ban on charging higher premiums to people who've been sick. It allows states to set their own standards. Before Obamacare came along, 43 states allowed higher rates for people with pre-existing conditions. And for the state to des- decide what's affordable and what's fair it's going to price these people out of the market. I mean, it's, it's just not, particularly since the mandate ends and people won't have to buy insurance anymore and all of those healthy people that were paying premiums but not getting any treatment will be gone. I mean, it's, this is, it was just a devastatingly bad idea, but it caught traction because a lot of Republicans said, God, dog, and I'm getting a lot of heat from my base. We said we were going to repeal this thing. This is our last chance to do it because under the rules through the end of this month, they can, they can pass it with 50 votes, whereas... In regular order, they've got they they got to get sixty right. to overcome the filibuster rule. Although they can start this whole process again next year on this this budgetary quirk, they can declare a interim whatever it is they call it. But in any event, John McCain finally today said he would not vote for it because it was outside regular order and there were too many people at issue and at risk in this. And he would like to see the compromise bipartisan effort that Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray have been working on to have a chance to succeed. And so with that and with Susan Collins' likely opposition and Rand Paul's stated opposition, if all those three hold, they can't pass it. Right. And so... And there's still, like, another 13 or so senators who've said they're up in the air. Right, and and there's been tremendous resistance from a number of Republican governors. Right. Not ours. Well, what what do you make of that? I mean... The governor has been in the past uh, among those more moderate voices. I think he, well, he already has been pandering to the base by his proposal that's going to cut 60,000 people off off the Medicaid expansion with this work requirement. And it'll perhaps do more than that because he said, oh, well, we're going to, and we're going to lower the income threshold or raise it, depending on how you call it. And, but, oh, not to worry, they, they can get subsidies in the marketplace. Well, they'll be meaningless subsidies. They'll be poor people who can't afford insurance at any price. And so, but I think he was pandering to the base already, and I think, I think Arkansas is just kind of a blood-red, Trump-red state. 
and he's up for election next year. And I think he, I think he kind of figured. Well, I think number one, Ace was never as moderate as some people thought he was. Right. I mean, I think strangling government in the interest of freeing up money for tax cuts is still where he wants to be. Even if he's slightly more incremental than others. Right. And and and, and so there's that. And then also, so if this fails, he's been on the right side politically. He hadn't hurt himself and his party really to speak of. And and if it fails, well, we, we still go ahead with Arkansas Works, which has been good for him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about a few odds and ends that uh, happened this week. There was a hearing this week in circuit court in Fayetteville where the ACLU and others were challenging the constitutionality of the state law that prevents cities from adopting civil rights ordinances to protect gay people. Well, this wasn't a real landmark thing, but it was kind of good news. I mean, we got a circuit judge, Doug Martin, up there who who clearly is going to rule without concern about what the political wins might be. And, and he said to Bart Hester and Bob Ballinger, who were the sponsors of the bill that preempts local ordinances on civil rights, are going to have to give sworn testimony about what their motivations were and other things about this bill. Everybody knows what this bill was about. It's to allow discrimination against gay people. And secondly, uh, the state wanted him to enjoin the enforcement of the local ordinance, and he wouldn't do it. Now, I, I expect the state Supreme Court to come in and enjoin it based on their finding that, that the state had the power legally to preempt local ordinances in this area. But the, the second question the state Supreme Court hadn't decided is whether, because this is aimed at discriminating against gay people, is it unconstitutional as a matter of equal protection? I mean, I happen to think it is. Uh, the Arkansas Supreme Court, given their their leanings, I don't know that we can count on that. But but the rulings yesterday perhaps give some hope that uh, at least the circuit court level, Fayetteville will prevail and equal rights will prevail. And the notion that no, it's wrong to discriminate against people in housing, employment, or, or public services because of their sexual orientation or gender is is wrong. That would be imagine, nice. Imagine, imagine that. that. Ted Sewell, former head of mental health services companies in Arkansas, argued this week to the 8th Circuit, 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, that his bribery conviction should be overturned. Well, it's uh, it's a replay of the of the argument that got the governor of Virginia off, that, and he had a very good lawyer from Williams and Connolly, this a super powerful, very expensive law firm in Washington, who did a pretty good job in the arguments, which I listened to online of arguing that, you know, you, you really have to you have to demonstrate a direct quid pro quo, a payment of money for a specific public act to sustain a bribery conviction. Now, there the law becomes very murky. I mean the you don't there are things like trying to influence a servant, public servant can be held to be and that and and of course Sewell wanted to say that all the money he gave to this preacher that was then funneled to, to a former state legislator and DHS official were really church contributions, but the government does have some some testimony like surreptitious video recordings of guys sticking money in their shoes and stuff that yeah. kind of gives a color to it that it's perhaps not as clean as it appears. The questioning from the, the judges was not overwhelmingly in favor of Sewell or the government, I thought, though, so I mean... You know, there's a, there's a lot of competing law on this question of what it takes to prove a pro- public bribery conviction, and who knows what may happen. But in the meanwhile, he's he's on his way to f- of finishing a year in jail, so there's at least that. Finally, turning back to Little Rock, a plan to establish a volunteer effort to feed homeless in the far southeastern corner of the city uh, fell apart. Uh, had to. 
I mean, the, the notion that there was going to be a sustainable volunteer effort to set up a tent out in southeast Little Rock and feed guys who were shuttle bussed out there was always a pipe dream anyway, particularly since the people in Little Rock, most of the people in Little Rock who have been committed for years to feeding the hungry uh, didn't want to do it. They, they saw it as just the city trying to move the homeless people out of downtown, and frankly, that's exactly what they're trying to do is move the homeless people out of downtown. So there, there's now talk, and I, what rich irony at this meeting where it was pretty much announced their, their deep six in the feeding plan is what we really need is a central place to provide comprehensive services for the homeless. Well, yeah, and a central place is not the day center that the mayor dreamed up to, to stick out near Granite Mountain, out near the Biddle Shops, and, that, and still and, and didn't invest a significant amount of money in to get it fixed up right to start with. And there's a religious organization kind of operating now, and there's hearts in the right place, I'm sure, and they have some of the idea about the comprehensive services needed. But the city just basically wants to spend the minimum necessary to get these people in a place where the public doesn't have to see them. And I was talking to somebody who's involved in this effort, and I, I think bigger than just the, the fact that the homeless are not as, a, as generally a very attractive lot. I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of readily identifiable when you see them on the streets with their garbage bags and their, and their back, their, you know, their bedrolls and their beards and their dirt and their raggedy clothes, is that they do a lot of panhandling. And, and, that, and that threatens people. And, and I, I understand that that threatens people, that when you're approached by somebody who's not particularly attractive, trying to get some money out of you, it makes people uneasy. I mean, they're not a source of a crime problem, as some people think, but, but it's, you know, they've kind of got a constitutional right to be. And I, I, I do think we could look at Fort Smith that opened up this incredible comprehensive homeless center in their downtown I think it has a barber shop and a dentist office, and I mean it's not seven days a week, but I mean that provides all these services and counseling and stuff. And Austin, I think, did a similar thing in Texas. And I just think this is one of those things where rounding people up and moving them away is not a solution. Yeah, and that, that, that there's a more granular approach to this. No doubt. Let's move on to endorsements. What do you have this well, week? Well, I mean, it's pretty boring but uh, and, and, and pretty obvious, but the Vietnam, Ken Burns' Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm informed by reading this profile of Ken Burns in The New Yorker, which, I mean, he's clearly a genius at what he does, but he's kind of a compromiser and right. a mediator, and he's not really, I mean, he's a liberal Democrat at heart, but he's not a polemicist and... He's got to keep people happy about his work, and so. Well, yeah, some of the like that one of the early lines about uh, the people who started this war in good faith has gotten a lot of attention. Yeah, right. And so he 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 doesn't go out and really hammer. But the fact is, the facts are just still terrible. Yeah. I mean, we just made mistake. There's no way to get around that we made mistake after mistake. We told lie after lie, and it was a disaster. Yeah. And and so that. You know, that speaks for itself, and it speaks particularly powerfully when we have somebody talking about bombing a nation of 25 million people and, and destroying a 15-year war in Afghanistan. And, you know, we, we don't learn our lessons very well. But the, the other th- great thing about the Vietnam thing for me is, is, is it, it's of my, the music is great. I mean, it's, yeah. my, it's my time, you know, the birds and eve of destruction and whatever i mean it's uh i'm just kind of wallowing in it 
So how many nights is it? Or how I many think episodes? It's ten. I'm only about three episodes in because I had to take a couple off, but we're watching it. You know, it's the other thing, the other really striking thing about it that several have pointed out is the open access that reporters had then. Yeah. I mean, they were everywhere and reporting stuff, and of course, as a result, I think, of that, there are now much stronger controls on what reporters are able to see and do. There's a photographer in this series, I guess from Texas, some swashbuckling guy. And, I mean, and he, you know, he'd finagle his way into these firefights. And then one, one surrounded company, the guy, uh, Charlie, what's his name, who was the Delta Force guy, got <laughs> trained him on using a machine gun to defend himself when he wasn't supposed to be doing. But they were under siege. Just some amazing tales of combat and, and they have this footage they talk about the times these groups are under siege somewhere and, and there they are under this this incredible barrage and you know the hordes of Viet Cong storming them and stuff just it's amazing stuff it's reality TV yeah well I've got real it, reality I've got it saved on TV I only watched about 30 minutes and was not feeling the heaviness that night but I will return yeah. uh, I mentioned Pig and Swig last night it was a great time we've got another pig related event coming up on Sunday October the 1st at the Argenta Plaza it's our annual whole hog roast uh, we've got hogs coming from farm girl meats these are heritage raised uh, pigs that you know live nice full this lives this is boucherie time you know if fall will just arrive and my, where I grew up that's when you slaughtered the pigs you know the air starts to get cool yeah. and you slaughter a pig and you roast some of them and you drink some beer and it's we can only hope that the air gets cool by it's, October it's, 1st it's but. a good thing uh, but this this year, I'm, actually, I don't remember what the price was last year, but it's $15 in advance this year. And believe me, you will get your $15 worth. I mean, it's it's all you can eat hog, and you will there will be way more than you can eat. Um, I forget how many teams exactly, but somewhere around a dozen or 15. Um, a number of uh, professional teams and then some amateurs who are cooking pork butts the amateurs in years past have been, oh, you know, good. really, really <laughs> quite good. Not very amateur. Uh, and then sides from Benny Keith, uh, and then you you purchase beer, or water. But it's a great great event. There's music, uh, easy to bring the kids. It's during the day time. I forget exactly when it starts. One or two probably. Go to Central Arkansas Tickets. Get all the info and, and buy your tickets in advance. You won't be sad. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. Subscribe via iTunes. Give us a rating and review and go to 42. Go to 42 and get you some brunch. We'll be back next week. All right.